Hello, everyone, and uh, welcome to the Bible Thumper podcast, where somebody's got to say it. Uh, my name is Patrick Hayes, uh, your regular host, and today with me, we have a special guest. We have Dr. David Snyder. Uh, he is the director of Baptist International Missions Incorporated, and he's uh, been gracious enough to join us for an hour so we can talk to him and learn a little bit about what they do over there at BIMI and learn a little bit about missions around the world. Now, before I bring him in, I just want to make sure everyone gets the information right up front. Uh, you can get in touch with BIMI at, through their website, and that is BIMI.org. And if you're watching us on uh, Facebook or YouTube, you can see a QR code on the screen. You can just go ahead and scan that, and that will bring you directly to their media page where you can link up with their Facebook page. Uh, they have a podcast, and all the links for that are right there on that media page. So we would encourage everyone to be sure and get connected with them so that way uh, you can uh, stay up to date on what they are doing and uh, get a lot of information about their missionaries around the world. So with that, uh, good morning, Dr. Snyder. Thank you so very much for joining us. How are you doing this morning? Hey, I'm doing great. Thank you, Pastor, for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Before we get started, I wanted to make sure uh, everyone knows this, and Dr. Snyder, you need to know this. Uh, my church supports several missionaries from BIMI. And Amen. I got to tell you, every single one of them that has come to our church has been absolutely wonderful. They have great. preached a great message. They were professional. They were just sweet people. Uh, and they were very down to earth. They were very nice. Um, you know, we, my wife and I felt like we could be ourselves around them. We could chit chat. They were wonderful with all our people. They hung out and just talked to everybody and answered questions. And uh, every BM, B-I-M-I, boy, I, I am sorry. I feel like I'm going to mix up those letters a hundred times uh, this, this <laughs> you morning. Can, if you want to, you if you want to, you can say Bimmy. It makes it a little bit easier. But. <laughs> we'll see if I get there. Um, but there every, you go. every single BIMI missionary that comes to our church, we take on for support. We have never said no to any of them. So I just wanted to let you know that and let everybody know that. So uh, Praise the Lord. Dr. Snyder, if you could, we're going to start from the very beginning. Could you please just explain missions to us? say in under a minute, just sure. for the folks that maybe, you know, don't even know what we're talking about. Tell, tell us what our mission Sure. Sure. And I will try to, you know, keep it under a minute because this is my life and it's hard to, you know, keep it, keep it short. But in, in a nutshell, you know, the, the, the last words that Jesus gave us was to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And then we get more explanation about how all that's to be done as we get into the book of Acts. And uh, bottom line is the Holy Spirit calls a missionary, sets them apart to missionary service. And that missionary is then sent out by a local church. And that local church has the responsibility for sending out that missionary, caring for that ministry missionary as they go forth to the particular mission field where God has called them. As they go, they fulfill that great commission that was given by Jesus Christ, which in a nutshell, in two words, is church planting. They're preaching and teaching the word of God, seeing people uh, come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, baptizing and discipling those new believers with the intent of 
establishing a church that will become uh, indigenous and autonomous, and uh, hopefully, Lord willing, a, a pastor will be put in place from that particular area of the world that hopefully maybe even was saved in that ministry. And then that missionary then can move on and start that process over again and with the idea of continually planting churches until the Lord comes. And then obviously that one particular sending church probably cannot finance uh, that missionary, but that missionary does a time of deputation where uh, many churches support that missionary monthly to enable them to live and be on that field full time to accomplish what God has called them to do. Okay, that's wonderful, and that's a great segue into uh, what could be a next question. So uh, tell me, uh, let's see, tell us what deputation is. All right. Deputation is uh, being deputized, and, and just a little bit about me here, I I always enjoyed watching, you know, old westerns, especially, you know, the black and white ones where, uh, you know, the, the good guy always won and the bad guy always lost, you know, those kind of things. Um, and I and I remember in many of those, the, the sheriff would deputize a posse to go out and catch the bad guy. And what he was doing was, you know, kind of, if you will, giving his authority to them to do what needed to be done. So deputation is a missionary that goes to a church or to churches, asking them to, if you will, deputize him uh, and his family on their behalf to go w do what Jesus has asked us to do. So they will contact the church and ask about the possibility of setting up a meeting to go to that church to in-person present the the burden that God has laid on their hearts to be a missionary in a particular place, and then ask the church to prayerfully consider supporting them on a monthly basis. And then he goes from that church to another church, then to another church. And, you know, as the Lord lays it on the hearts of churches to take them on for support, when they get to that full support, then they can leave, go to the field, and as I mentioned, you know, live on that field full time to plant churches as God helps them to do what he has called them to do. Okay, so the the one part that I think a lot of us pastors are familiar with is the idea that these folks, they need to uh, generate revenue, they need to raise support in order to be able to make it on the mission field, because depending on where they're right. going, uh, I think a lot of folks don't understand the, the the vast spectrum of going to a third world country where that missionary may never be able to raise enough support locally from people that get saved and baptized and they join their church and they learn the Bible. And let's say those folks, uh, the church grows and they start to tithe. But even then, the amount of money that might be brought in from that church just is never going to be enough to support, you know, a church building and then trying to um, send out more missionaries and start more churches from there. And then you might go to another country that would be, I'll just, for lack of a better term, say a first world country where, where once that church is established and it grows, they might be able to, um, you know, support themselves to, to some degree. So this question is vague and going to be hard to answer, but how long does it take to get a missionary on the field? So let's say, 
some young man decides, um, I feel that God is calling me to be a missionary, and uh, they get in touch with you. Their pastor says, you know what, you should get in touch with these folks at BIMI, and they're going to be able to help you with this process. What's what's the time frame? You know, longest to shortest, what do you think? Give us an idea. Right, right. Um, when you're talking about someone who already has the Bible education that they mm-hmm. need and they're ready to go, and let's just say they get accepted at BIMI as a missionary with us. And again, I'm, I'm, you know, you could include all good mission agencies in this. I just, I know BIMI, so I'll just speak of BIMI. Sure. But when they're accepted by BIMI as a missionary, then they begin their deputation process. For us, generally speaking, we're looking at about two to two and a half years of deputation. Um, there are obviously exceptions to that. One of the things that I kind of give is maybe a testimony of, of God's goodness. You know, we're we're coming, I hope, out of a time of COVID and pandemic and the world, things that are going on in the world, you know, and you wonder, okay, what about all of this? And, and missionaries raising their support because, uh, as you well know, churches, we went through a really tough time there for a while. Of some, some even closed down for a while because of COVID and et cetera. But God has been helping our missionaries, and we've seen a good number of our missionaries raise their support recently in 18 months. Oh, and uh, I'm, think, I'm thinking of one family right now. They, uh, they're going to Africa. They raised their support. A whole family raised their support in 15 months. So God has been so good, and as he always is, uh, in the midst of COVID, you know, what, all the stuff that's going on in the world, um, and, and helping them to raise that support. And if it's okay, let me go back to something you mentioned earlier. Um, when we're talking about raising monies for missionaries to go to the field, it is important for them to raise the monies that they will need when they go there. Because in most places in the world, whether you're talking about a third world or a first world country, missionaries going into that country are not allowed to accept any kind of income from that country. So they can't go work a second job. Um, because of the way the government regulations are set up and et cetera, all of their income must come from the United States. And uh, we actually have to write a letter on their behalf to the government stating that they will not be a burden on that country. And, and, and for lack of a better way of saying it, th- these are my words, they won't take money from the nationals there by taking a job that one of the nationals could have. So oh, that's kind of the okay. agreement. So it is, it's very important that that money is raised when that missionary goes, but you know it enables that missionary then to put all of the monies that are coming in from that church, because they're going to teach the, the folks there to give, and with the view of one of the people from that area becoming the pastor, so when they become the pastor, that's where the, the if you will, the salary that they're going to be uh, collecting from tithes and offerings, etc., to go towards that national pastor because obviously then he can accept, you know, those funds because he is from that country. Now that might be a little bit of an oversimplification, but you know, just for the sake of our discussion, those are some things to consider. No, that that's a great point. And that brings up uh, a question that I have. So 
here today, anyone listening in America, we can always have the idea that, oh boy, something came up and we have extra expenses. And you know what? I'm going to uh, take an extra job in the evening delivering pizza, or I'm going to work on the weekends trying to find some work, you know, mowing lawns or babysitting or doing whatever to try to scratch together a little bit of extra money. But what you're saying is that that option is just not available at all to any missionary in any country. Is that correct? In, in in most every country. There okay. may be some exceptions to it, but generally speaking, that is very true. They, they can't even, like you mentioned, they can't even deliver pizzas as an extra job. It's just not allowed. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you know, we have, we have some missionaries. We have USA missions. So we have some missionaries here in the USA that are planting churches, starting churches. Now, they have that option, obviously, but, um, you know, generally speaking, that is just one of the agreements for, you know, a U.S. citizen going into most countries of the world that they're not going to be taking money away from um, the national, uh, you know, in any way, whether it be a second, you know, part time job or being salaried by the church that's being started. OK, let me uh, let me shift gears here and uh, let me ask you a question. Um most of us have heard the term mission board. You mentioned the term mission agency. Tell us what a mission agency is for all of us okay. that, that need to know more about it. Sure, sure. Well, it, our mission agency, mission board, to me, pretty much synonymous terms. Um, I guess maybe there could be a, uh, you know, maybe split hairs over that. I don't know, but I'm using them synonymously. Okay, good. But when you're talking about uh, either one, what, and again, I'm going to speak to BIMI and how we are structured and what we do to answer that question. We as a mission agency are governed by a body, a board of directors, of trustees. Those trustees are made up of independent Baptist pastors and for us, we have in our Constitution and bylaws that that number has to be between 20 and 30. So we have to have at least 20 independent Baptist pastors on our board as trustees. It's a rotating board, so they're on for six years. They rotate off for at least one year, but then they can be invited back on after that year to serve for another six-year term. That's our governing body. That's who I, as the president and general director of BMI, I take my orders from them. So we meet twice a year as trustees, and uh, I present to them the things that I need to get their approval on, and you know we vote on things and make sure everything's done correctly, not just for the missionaries and our mission agency, but to keep us, you know, in line with things that you know the government says that we need to be doing as a 501c3 organization. So we're we're doing all of those things, and we as a mission agency collect the monies from um the the churches that are giving to our missionaries so uh your church let's say sends a check i'm just going to say a hundred dollars so you send a hundred dollar check to bimi that hundred dollar check comes into our office we see that it's from you we see that it's to go to missionary a b or c whichever one it is we then put that into their account and then at the end of the month your church, along with all of the other churches that have given to that missionary, they are listed on a monthly statement that is received by our missionaries. And then they know how many churches gave and how much they gave and what the full amount is that came in that month. And those monies are then 
very easily accounted for. And we then at the end of the year have 12 statements, one for each month that tells the exact amount of money that came through our account. And then, of course, there's there's other accountabilities that are done through the mission agency. So, for instance, um, there is a required a quarterly financial report. And those reports are important because it lists the work fund expenses that are incurred by missionaries to uh, use for ministry. Thus, those are not taxable monies because they are work fund monies. Um, and just, just for clarification, too, for the sake of your listeners and, and for you, um, I'm going to start using the word we because here at BIMI, for me as the president, uh, our vice president, all of our field directors, we also raise our support just like our missionaries do. So I am also a BIMI missionary. I've been with BIMI for 32 years, and I have raised my support that whole entire time, starting out as a missionary in Alaska, uh, then as far north director, and now as the president and general director. So every month I get a statement from BIMI, tells who my supporters were that month and how much they gave, get to the end of the year. I have 12 statements, and boy, it sure makes taxes that much easier but you know the the donors, the churches, or if there is an individual that gives, they receive a receipt back. And again, so there's your accountability, knowing that what the money was sent in for and who it was sent in for, it was used for that particular purpose and went to that particular person. So it's a it's an accountability thing and helps with you know all of the the things that uh, need to be done, not only for the government but just for basic accounting and basic accountability of things such as that. So that was a question that I had further on down the line, which you answered, and that was the idea of your staff and do they require support from churches as well? And so really, all of your staff are missionaries uh, that uh, uh, that raise support from churches. So that way, all the money that is sent in to in individual missionary, no matter where they're serving in the world, that money is going to end up in the hands of the missionary. It's not like 50% has to be cut off and used for overhead for BMI, right. BIMI. And that, right. that's a question I'm sure several folks would have. So that's wonderful. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The only exception to that would be we've got some secretaries here in the office mm -hmm. and a few other staff members here that, you know, it really, humanly speaking, would be impossible for them to go out and raise support. So they are paid a salary by BIMI, and you know that is something that we do have to raise money for. We do have churches that support the general fund of BIMI monthly, just like they do other missionaries. That money is then used to pay that the staff, and then there is also uh, what we call an administrative fee that is a per-transaction fee, um, which is $3.25. So that $100 check that we mentioned a moment ago that you would send into BIMI, $3.25 comes from that and is used to process the cost that, that it costs to process that check and to print out the statement and to send the statement and all the things that go along with that. And obviously to pay the secretaries that uh, do all of that accounting. And I, I will tell you, my testimony here is I am thrilled to pay $3.25 per transaction to have that done because it saves me an amazing amount of work and uh, helps with all the accountability things that are involved and need to be involved with, you know, missions monies.
Yeah, and that frees up every missionary to not have to worry about the paperwork and the tax consequences that come with all of that. Uh, they can just yes. spend their time focusing on doing the Lord's work. Now, how many missionaries exactly. uh, do you folks have over there? How many missionaries you guys uh, take care of? Yeah, we have about 800 missionaries that are serving in about 100 different fields of the world. Wow. Okay. So it keeps us busy. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I bet. Um, okay, so let me ask you this. Does a does being if if you had to well, you're gonna have to answer because that's what we're doing. We're asking questions, right? I'm trying I don't I know why you. I need a segue here. Uh what would you say is the benefit of a missionary being part of a mission agency as opposed to say you know, just uh, using their one church, their home church that they come from, and that church maybe just, you know, takes care of yeah. or supports one missionary, as opposed to you guys who are taken care of, you know, getting close to a thousand. Right. Well, you know, I'm going to answer that question, but I'm going to going to say this first. It does not mean that a missionary who does not use a mission agency is unbiblical uh, or wrong or whatever. That is between him and his sending church. So, mm -hmm. you know, praise the Lord for those who go a different direction than a mission agency or mission board. Now, to get to your question, though, um, you know, I went with a mission agency when I was, you know, first going into missions. Number one, because of the experience that they had. Uh, why, why should I go make my own mistakes and learn from my mistakes when I can learn from others and learn from their mistakes first and not make those same mistakes and learning how to properly do all the accounting and even, you know, the church planting side of it, all the other things that, uh, a mission agency can give, you know, BIMI was started in 1960. So that's 62 years of experience that I was able to, and any other missionary that would join with us, is able to glean from uh, being with a mission agency. Then there's also the um, the idea of, and I don't mean this in the, in the wrong way, obviously, I mean in a good way, there's safety in numbers. And when you're talking about BIMI, for instance, with us, we process, we regularly process monies that come in from uh, over 7,000 independent Baptist churches. So with that in mind, if there is a problem with one of our missionaries, you know, I can put out the word electronically to over 7,000 independent Baptist churches almost instantly. And if there's a great need, man, we can get a gr good response really fast. So, you know, that's just a great comfort to me to have that as, um, you know, a help to me knowing that that is um, being you know, one of the positives of being involved in a large organization. So there's other things involved too. There's a, a group medical plan that has an international plan that's involved with it. And then there's a group uh, retirement plan. It's not a big one, but hey, it is at least something. Uh, you know, so with the group idea, there comes those things that are, in my opinion, very helpful to a missionary. And again, for me, I knew that's what God wanted for me, and I, I can't tell you over the years how much BIMI as an organization has helped me personally in my ministry to avoid some mistakes and to point me in the right direction to you know more effectively do what the Lord's called me to do. Um, one other thing I mentioned, too, is that 
for instance, you know, we talked about deputation earlier. Um, when I, as a missionary, started my deputation, I was sent out by a small little church in Pennsylvania. And if I were to call other churches and ask about the possibility of presenting my my ministry to them, you know, I would have to say, hey, I'm a missionary sent out by such and such church. And, you know, would you consider having me? Well, most of the churches I'm going to call would have no clue uh, anything about my sending church, uh, what they believed, who they were, or thus than me and what I believed and who I am and et cetera. But if I'm with a mission agency like BIMI, who already works with 7,000 plus independent Baptist churches, if I call and say I am a missionary sent by such and such a church and sent through BIMI, immediately there's a connection with that pastor because he knows who BIMI is. He knows our doctrinal stance. And, you know, obviously that pastor can ask any questions he wants of that missionary, but there's questions he doesn't have to ask because. If you're going to be a BIMI missionary, you know, doctrinally and and other things as well, those things have been checked on. And those things are something that we as BIMI missionaries, every quarter we sign and say that doctrinally and otherwise we are in agreement with BIMI and who they are. So to say I am a BIMI missionary means something when I make that call on deputation. So it's an association thing. No, and that does make it easy because that way you know what you're getting. So, uh, yeah, something I can I, I can tell you that, and, and this is a frustrating point for me. And we're going to get into this in a little bit, but um, there are lots of missionaries that struggle getting into certain churches, and it is a mm-hmm. failing of some of us as pastors having such a high bar and sometimes uh, some, I'll just say it, a ridiculous uh, line in the sand that we need them to cross to just be able to come to our church and present their work. And one of the nice things about uh, anyone coming from a mission agency or a mission board is that you already know what they believe. It's written down. They all have to agree to it before they start. Right. So you don't have to uh, send them questionnaires and and go through it and check you know check their references and do this all the rigmarole. You can just see. Okay, I know what I'm getting. These guys. This is what they believe. This is where they stand. They're all in agreement. So uh, let's just have them come on in and you know and get the show on the road. Um, right. <clears throat> okay. So let me. Uh, let me ask you another question. Does being part of a, does BIMI help folks get a foot in the door in certain countries that we might not be able to have access to if we were trying to get in there on our own? Yes, there, there are um, several countries, several places in the world that if a missionary was trying to get into that country, just using their uh, sending church, they would not let them in um, because that particular country or those particular countries that we're talking about uh, only recognize a, a specific organization that, if you will, specializes in, you know, missionaries. And so, again, BIMI with the fact that, hey, we've been around since 1960 that is a name and an organization that many countries recognize because, okay, yeah, we've had other missionaries in here with the IMI and et cetera. So again, you've got that, that recognition, name recognition that is very helpful 
in many of these countries in the world. So there, there are places like that. And again, that's not to say that, you know, you have to be with a mission organization, you have to be with BIMI, but some places in the world, you do have to be with some sort of an organization other than just your sending church to get into those places. So, you know, that it's not every place in the world like that, but there are some places, but some places it just makes it purely easier because they worked with BIMI folks for the last 50 years and they know BIMI. So that part of it, yes, very helpful in most cases and in several cases, absolutely necessary to have either BIMI or an organization like BIMI to be writing a letter on behalf of you as a missionary going to that particular field. So once you guys get a foot in the door and you have a relationship established in a country, getting additional people into that country is a lot easier, maybe even if the country has changed their policies, whereas someone starting from scratch and just trying to get in there on their own could be either difficult and in some cases impossible. Yes. And there's, there are, you know, we, we help one another as mission agencies. There are some agencies that, you know, they don't have a, any kind of paperwork or any kind of relationship set up with a particular country. So they come to us and say, Hey, would you help us with this? And we do our best to help anytime we're asked about things like that, if we can, um, and, and vice versa, there are a few places that, Hey, we don't have paperwork in that particular country. So we may go to another mission agency and say, Hey, can you help us get our guy in there? And, you know, once the missionaries are in there living on the field and they're established, then they are the ones who are normally responsible for keeping that paperwork up to date and making sure that the government does continue to recognize us as, uh, an agency that is, um, you know, trustworthy and that we would be responsible for the ones that we're going to be bringing in there. And, you know, obviously when you, when you do that, we, as a mission agency, we are the ones that are taking full responsibility for that missionary. So if that missionary does something wrong, we're the ones responsible for, you know, we have to remove them from the country and get them back here, but even more so, you know, and, and hope we never have to do that. But, uh, but also let's say that missionary passes away that country is not going to be responsible to get the body back here to the United States. We are the ones who are going to be responsible for that. So, you know, there's all of that responsibility that does lie on our shoulders. And, you know, we have the insurance policies that will help with all of that. Um, and, you know, many churches are, are smaller churches and they're sending churches. And I, you know, for them, it would be difficult to carry a, a million dollar or more policy that would, you know, be able to expatriate their missionary if necessary. So again, that's just one of those services that as a mission agency, uh, we help churches with. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna back up a little and, uh, get back to the individual missionary on deputation. Uh, one of the questions okay. I had here was what percentage of churches that have a missionary visit them, take them on for monthly support? If you had to render a guess, how many churches does a missionary have to go to before one says, we're going to take you on? Yeah. All I can do is give you a guess. And sure. if we really did a study on it, we would really have to do an average and average it out because there are some missionaries who the percentage of the churches they go to versus, you know, the ones that take them on, it's, that percentage is going to be really high. And quite honestly, some of that, and maybe I should even say a good majority of that, has to do with their connections. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the old saying is not what you know, it's who you know. <laughs> um, it does come into play even with deputation because if, if I am a missionary who is, let's say, the son of a well-known pastor in a particular state, well, if I start calling churches in that particular state and say, hey, my dad is, you know, oh, hey, yeah, okay, great, great, you know, and they get them getting into the church and them gaining support, the likelihood of all of that is much higher because of who they know and their association. Whereas, and again, I use myself as an example, I wasn't the son of a pastor and I had no connections getting started, you know, and I'm calling these guys out of the blue. So for me, my percentage of those that I'm in versus those that take me on, it would be a lot lower. And I don't even know what it was for me. I honestly didn't really, I, maybe I should have, I just never even really paid attention to that. So, you know, if, if, if you're in a church, um, let's see, you're going to be sometimes in a, in a month's time, you can be in four different churches. Probably that's maybe a good, average or hope anyways, because one conference per week or at least one Sunday meeting per week, you know, if you can have one or maybe two of those churches of those four take you on, you know, I would say that's pretty good. Now, again, if you have a lot of connections, it may be three of those churches that take you on. So, you know, you're talking 50, I'm hoping 75%, maybe. Um, But again, there's a lot of variables there. But the bottom line is you never assume that the church is definitely going to take you on just because you went there for a meeting. And there are, again, a lot of reasons for that. Sometimes I have been in churches on deputation and even since then that the pastor has told me, listen, I'm just telling you up front, you know, financially, we're having a difficult time. Mm -hmm. So there's no possible way that we can take you on for support, but we'd love you to come in and challenge our people about missions. And if you'd be willing to come, we'd like to have you. And my usual response is, man, I'd love to come. You know, because I love any opportunity I get to preach the gospel and preach missions and challenge people for missions. Hey, I I love it. So, you know, many times missionaries will go to churches knowing that right up front. But it's interesting because I know there is probably, I'm guessing, two or three churches that when I did deputation, I went to churches and the pastor told me that before I got there. And I said, listen, I'd just be glad to come and talk about missions. And I went and, you know, it's funny because they took me on for support, even though they told me they couldn't. You know, so, hey, sometimes the Lord just works even in those type situations. And I think oftentimes, and this is a testimony to to the Lord, oftentimes I think the Lord is teaching us as missionaries the lesson. It's not about you. It's not even what you know or who you know. It's all about me. And I think the Lord just drives that point home time and time again on deputation. And, And it's a lesson of faith. Because sometimes you can go to a church and it's let's just say it's a big church and it seems like, hey, there's a lot of rich people in this church. And you're thinking, <laughs> wow, Lord, this is going to be great. You know, and the love offering, Lord, we, you know, we need the love offering. We've got to put gas in our tank and, you know, with cost of gas right now, especially, you know, and you're thinking, OK, Lord, you're going to you're going to really use this church. And sadly, sometimes those kind of churches, you know, they give you a twenty five, fifty dollar love offering and say, Lord, bless you. And you're thinking, okay, Lord, I, I don't know how this is going to work, but you're going to take care of it. And then you you travel to the next church, and it's a church out in the middle of nowhere, mm-hmm. and it's some some a farming community and some folks that really you know they don't have a lot of money. And you know you leave that church with maybe one of the biggest love offerings you ever got, and you're saying, Lord, how did that happen? And the Lord's just saying, it's not about you, and it's not about them, it's about me. 
And the Lord just shows himself strong and gives you what you need along the way. And that's one of the lessons that missionaries, that we as missionaries learn on deputation, because when we get to the field, it's not about what we know and who we know. It's about the Lord Mm -hmm. and him doing a work through us that we cannot do in and of ourselves. That's great. Uh, Let me tell you something, um, my personal experience, something that we've done, because we are in Western Colorado. And uh, Dr. Snyder, I don't know if you've ever been to Western Colorado, but let me tell you, it is not the center of fundamentalism in America. So I've been there and I know what you mean. (laughs) So there are a lot of independent fundamental Baptist churches out here, but several of them are an hour this way, an hour that way. So it's, it's not it's not like some other parts of the country. So one thing I've always done with every missionary that we have that that's going to come and present their work to our church, I always send them an email with the name, address, phone number uh, of every pastor of every independent Baptist church in our valley and in the surrounding areas. And I tell them, I say, look, talk to this guy and mention my name. You will get a meeting. Now, I don't know if they're going to take you out for support, but they will give you a meeting. They will give you a love offering. And we try to do that to just try to help these guys get as many meetings as they can. And some of these independent Baptist churches on the list that I send them, like they won't even talk to each other. But I happen to know the pastor. So it's like, hey, you know, see if you can get a meeting while you're there. Tell them you're coming to our church and hopefully we'll, you know, at least fill up your schedule a little bit. And, And I can tell you that it has worked. A lot of these missionaries have made those phone calls. And then when they come out to us, which again is the middle of nowhere. And don't get me wrong. Right. I mean, Grand Junction, Colorado, we're the biggest city between Salt Lake and Denver. Uh, in our valley, we have over 100,000 people. But it's still, right. you know, there is 30 miles of desert if you were an hour of desert if you just start driving west from us you know yeah. the, we are a little bit in the middle of nowhere so and i would encourage any pastor any assistant pastor that is dealing with these missionaries and helping set up their trip to your church do them that courtesy it takes you five minutes and you know some folks and if you know them that are close by try to get these guys some other meetings because it helps a lot and it is an encouragement to these guys that are working so hard trying to get their foot in the door in a church and and like you said you just never know uh what whatever right. church you end up at you never know who's going to take you on you never know who's going to give you you know a love offering that that's really going to help you out in a way that you need now along with that and i hate that so much of this interview is about money i really do but let's face it <laughs> i mean the guy they need support they're not going to make it to a foreign right. field without support. So right. that is going to be a lot of what we talk about. Has monthly well, support for missionaries kept up with inflation? Well, you know, and and to answer or to add to what you just said, you know, the Great Commission is not cheap. Yes. It's, it's expensive mm-hmm. to get the gospel around the world. So that's if we accept that truth to begin with, then the rest is okay. Um, and, and, and another truth to add to that is that our father owns the cattle on a thousand hills and he owns the hills and he owns the gold that's in the hills. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's all taken care of, but you know, it comes down to us and our willingness to give, um, you know, but as far as the the most immediate question that you've just asked there, inflation and support levels of missionaries, et cetera, you know, it is a very difficult time. Uh, in that respect, because here, when you have a missionary who is on the field and they are planning a church and they're right in the middle of 
really getting things going, you know, and uh, it's, it's, if you will, a baby church and needs a lot of attention and et cetera, et cetera. Well, then all of a sudden inflation and cost of living goes up. Well, they can't just leave their particular um, uh, ministry, come back to the United States, raise support for several months or a year, and then go back because they would have nothing to go back to to mm-hmm. just leave a, a, a small and a, and a new work like that. So that has been the difficult part of this, and some of that is kind of, if you will, a regular thing in missions because cost of living never goes down. It always goes up, so there's always that constant part of that. But you know, recent days, right now, this inflation, it's, I have a feeling that it's going to hit our missionaries pretty heavy here in the near future. Um, and I do think it's important for churches, and I have, you know, I have you know, given this suggestion to churches all along to, you know, from time to time, whether it's annually or semi-annually, to stop and look at what are we giving to missionaries and have we, you know, uh, compensated for cost of living raises and for inflation and et cetera. I I think that most churches, I'm going to say, are cognizant of that fact, and they do consider that, and I praise the Lord for that. But there are some churches that, uh, how would I say this, they, they don't keep up with the times, and they're still supporting their missionaries for $10 a month wow. each. just like in and, 1950. You know, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, and you know, to me, that's just a little bit, oh man, I hate that. And even if a church is a small church and has you know, not a lot of cash flow, you can still support less missionaries, but do so for more, you know, per missionary. And that's, you know, there's, there's two different philosophies that churches usually adopt. One is we want to support a whole bunch of missionaries, but for a smaller amount, or we want to support less missionaries because we want to support them for a greater amount each month. And, and each church needs to come to where they are on that and I think it's probably kind of already obvious where I am on that. I, I believe that if you concentrate on supporting less missionaries, but for a greater amount, for me, I believe it's a greater blessing to the missionary because then he has less churches to try to report to on furlough. But it's also going to be a blessing to the church because you can concentrate more on the specifics of the ministries of the missionaries you're supporting because you're only, let's say, looking at 10 missionaries versus, versus you know, 25 or 50, church, 50 missionaries that how can you keep up with that many with such a, you know, a smaller church? So to me, I think all the way around, it's a better, you know, setup and a uh, bigger blessing to both the missionary and the church to support for a, a bit larger amount rather than a $10 a month type contribution. Okay, we're going to get into some tougher questions now, but okay. I'm going to bring these up <clears throat> because I think they're important. And the, the reason we're all doing this thing is for the individual sinner that needs to come to know Jesus. The, the whole reason okay. we're all doing this is because we want to fill up heaven. We want to get the gospel to people. We want to see people get saved. So tell me, how are we as pastors of local churches failing with missions? What do you well, need from us to be successful? Don't pull your punches. 
Okay. okay. <laughs> this is the time to tell us because we want we, we want to make a change. And I'll tell you, if there's something that I'm doing wrong, if there's something that I could be doing better, I want to do it because uh, the Great Commission needs to be way more important than my ego. I got you. Go ahead. I got you. Well, you know, I'll preface what I'm going to say with this. I really do believe that, you know, a great number of churches, a great, I think I can even say a great majority of churches. And, and when I say churches, in my mind, I'm thinking independent Baptist churches because that's my circle. That's where I, that's where I work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really do think that we're getting the job done as far as the, the main things that need to be done as far as missions is concerned. So, you know, I preface what I'm about ready to say with that thought, because when you compare independent Baptists to other, I hate to use the word religions, but you, you understand sure, where I'm coming from, yep. denominations, et cetera. Um, I think we are the ones who are really focused on getting this job done more so than others. And it doesn't mean that nobody else is doing the job. I'm just saying, you know, greatest majority. Now, having said that, I believe that churches in general, um, and, and I think I'll try and answer it this way. Churches need to be not only missions-minded, because you know we've used that phrase for, for many years, and it is important to be missions-minded, but I'm going to take it two steps further. Not just missions-minded, but I think we also need to be missions-hearted, because it has to be more than just using our mind, you know, sharpening our pencils, looking at a missions budget, and figuring out what we can do, et cetera, so on. But our heart has to be in this thing. And, you know, you mentioned we're talking about money a lot, and we have to purpose in our heart what we're to give and not to give it grudgingly or of necessity. Um, you know, that's a heart issue. So we have to be missions-hearted and have a heart for missions and for missionaries. But I'm going to take it this step further. And I think this is where – this is a general answer to your question. I think that missions needs to be part of the DNA of a church. Uh, I think it has to be what the church is about. You know, the ultimate goal of any church, of any Christian, is to bring glory to God. That's that's our chief end. That's That's what it's all about. Well, the biggest and best way to ever bring glory to God is through the salvation of souls and obedient faith to Jesus Christ in fulfilling the great commission that he's given to us. It is the purpose of the church. Uh, you know, the, the whole idea of evangelization of the lost, edification of the saved, discipleship of those new believers, baptism, uh, and then, you know, continuing that on, planting churches elsewhere. And that's, that's the great commission. And so here's my thing as pastors, now getting to a little bit more specific answer to your question. I think pastors have to be all in when it comes to missions, and if they are, they're going to be preaching it from the pulpit. And I think there are some pastors who have really shied away from preaching missions, um, maybe not purposely, but their focus hasn't been there, and thus that they're not really preaching that. And now I come to the crux of where I'm headed with all of this. If our young people today are not challenged about missions, the need for laborers will only get greater and greater. And many times, and this is the testimony I keep hearing, many times this is getting shied away from because parents today, and I'm going to even throw in grandparents today, do not want to see their young people go into missions. 
And they think their thought is, well, if my young person goes into missions, number one, they're going to be poor for the rest of their lives. They're not going to have a 401k, and they're not going to make a lot of money. And, and I say that uh, not just because I'm pulling that out of the air. Uh, this is something I hear. Mm-hmm. And I know, I know of a missionary couple right now that uh, he, they believe, they know, they've been called to missions. But his parents said, no, you need to get a secular degree first, because that way, if the missions thing doesn't work out, you'll have something to fall back on. So they told him he needed to get a degree. So he went and he got an engineering degree. Praise the Lord. Mm -hmm. But now he's going to Bible college, getting what he needs for an education to go into missions. But he could already be on the field. But again, I'm not trying to be critical of that, that particular set of parents, but I'm saying generally that's kind of what we're seeing a lot of. And if pastors, you know, don't preach missions, well, then the parents surely aren't going to say to their young people, hey, why don't you think about missions? So I think that it's one of those things that if it's the DNA of the church, and that's what the church is all about, and it's preached from the pulpit constantly, I think it's one of those things that God will use the preaching of his word to speak to the hearts and lives of young people who will then, in obedience, surrender to the Great Commission. So I don't know if that necessarily answers your question, takes this you know, in the direction you were looking for, but that is something I am seeing regularly when it comes to missions. You, you make a really good point, and I think it's one that we need to face because I can tell you, so I have six children from ages okay. 14 down to seven. Five of the six are boys. And I can tell you the reaction I had the first time one of them said, uh, Dad, I want to be a pastor. And it was a feeling of apprehension. And I hate to admit Uh that, but I just I'm okay with being honest, whether we like it or not. And those thoughts of, okay, well, you know what, if you're going to be a pastor somewhere here in America, okay, that's that's not going to be bad. Let's face it, you're still going to have air conditioning and McDonald's, you know, so long as you don't want to be a missionary. And if you're going to be a missionary, let's make it, you know, a really nice country with, you know, with uh, high standards for, you know, hospitals and law enforcement. I definitely don't yeah. want you being, a, you know, a missionary in a place that's dangerous. And what's a shame is that we are really taking the place of God because right. uh, God is calling these people and he's calling them to places that I, I mean, honestly, uh, Dr. Snyder, I am so glad that uh, God never uh, called me to missions because I've never wanted my faith to be tested like that. Uh, and I think that any one of these kids that wants to leave, you know, the comforts of America and air conditioning to bring the gospel to uh, some of these countries that I would not visit if someone paid me. Um, it it right. makes my heart to think that they don't have the support through prayer and through finances. I mean, just immediately, you know, because mm-hmm. what they want to do is, is just amazing. But that's that's a great challenge that all of us pastors need to take is that <clears throat> we need to bring this up and we need to remind folks that um, this is this is a wonderful thing. And this is something that uh, should be encouraged. And th- how are you going to react as a Christian the day that your child says, you know what, mom, I feel like I need to be a missionary 
and it is to a country that is volatile and far away and possibly dangerous and poor. And uh, hopefully, um, you know, we'll have a soft heart with that and we'll just wholeheartedly uh, support what God is doing in the hearts of our children. Uh, but that is a yeah. wonderful uh, challenge for, for all of us. Well, I know, I know that for me, my particular testimony in this, I was saved at the age of eight. I was called to missions when I was 10 years old. Mm-hmm. So I was just a 10-year-old boy when God called me. And I remember that God used a missionary who came to our church and he presented his ministry. I still to this day don't know who the missionary was, and I don't remember his field or anything, but I know God used him. And as a 10-year-old boy, I mean, what do you know about being a missionary? Well, you don't know a lot, but I knew it was the idea of I was going to go somewhere else in the world, and I was going to tell them about Jesus, you know. Mm -hmm. So I remember getting in the truck to go home after church, and I said to my parents, Mom and Dad, I, I believe God's called me to be a missionary. And, you know, so they're they're probably getting that same feeling in their gut that you just mentioned that, you know, you, any parent would get when that apprehensive feeling comes in. You know, and I, I can just say this. I praise the Lord for my parents and the reaction that they had for me. You know, any 10-year-old kid who says today, hey, I want to be this, you know, I want to be a police officer. Well, tomorrow he's going to be a fireman, and the next day he's going to be this. And you know how that goes as a 10-year-old. So my parents are thinking, well, this might just be an emotional thing for today. You know, we'll see. So, you know, you want to carefully respond to that. My parents, this was their response. I still remember to this day. They just said to me, David, you just do whatever God wants you to do and we'll be happy. And you know what? That was the perfect response. And it didn't discourage me, but it did encourage me. And obviously it wasn't an emotional thing from that night. It was God's calling, even as a 10-year-old boy. And so I think that as parents, as pastors, as grandparents, if our response to any young person concerning this is, hey, you just do whatever God wants you to do, I think that's the right response to have. That's a great point. I have a, a several directions I want to go from here, but I know we've had some comments here and some people are asking about current events and what is going on in the nation of Ukraine. So if you could yes. tell us a little bit about, do you have missionaries that are currently serving in Ukraine? Are they still there? We just took on uh, JJ uh, Spillman, who is oh, yeah. going to <laughs> Ukraine right now. Yeah, he and his trying wife. to. <laughs> yeah, and they're they're having a baby right now, and and we understand uh, that they're a little sure. ways away from getting over there, but we know that uh, they are on their way. Uh, all of our folks right. are wondering, you know, who do you have over there? Are they still serving in yep. the country? What can you tell us about what's going on? Yeah, well, we we no longer have anyone there, and they they've come out for safety reasons and etc. We had we have one uh, single lady that was working there with another missionary couple, and uh, when she was evacuating, it should have taken about an hour to get out and get across the border. It took her 18 hours, so it was it was quite the trip for her. Um, but here is what we're doing now, as far as those missionaries who are in that part of the world. Uh, even a couple of other countries around, they they left that particular country just because of the you know ramifications that could come. They are they have been relocated to a particular place where they can help with the refugees that are coming out of Ukraine and other places too, but coming to different places where there is help that is needed in those places, and they are ministering there until we find out what's going on. 
uh, brother JJ, you know, and his family, uh, at this point, probably with the background he has, he could probably pick a place over there close by and be able to go in and start ministering right away with the language and otherwise. And, you know, Lord willing, this, this war is not going to last for forever. So our hope would be that eventually they can get to where they feel God's called them to go. But until then, they can minister to those people. It just won't be within the borders of that country. And so right now on our website, we have on our, our homepage, uh, you can go and you can click and you can donate to help with the Ukrainian refugees. And what we're doing is finding our missionaries that are specifically ministering to those who have come out of Ukraine and who need, you know, just food, water, you know, uh, clothing, etc., and helping them uh, with those particular needs. So as our missionaries, our Europe director is overseeing that. So as our missionaries, hey, we've got refugees, we need help, then he can release those monies, send it right to the missionary, and we know that it's getting used for, you know, the things that it's supposed to be used for. So that's at present what we're doing and handling each situation individually, depending on where they are and their particular situation and kind of, you know, taking a step back and watching and waiting what happens as far as Ukraine itself. But, hey, we've got an amazing ministry opportunity to those who have come out and who really do need help, giving them not only the, the necessities of life, but the gospel of Jesus Christ all at the same time. Uh, let me interrupt real quick. I just want to let everyone know that I posted a link directly to the BIMI page for the Ukrainian relief uh, and uh, refugee uh, situation. So anyone that wants to get on there and support that, uh, the link is up. Just click on that, and you can donate very easily to that cause. Uh, our uh, home home church here has uh, sent off checks to BIMI for that Ukrainian refugee relief fund, um, and several Thank individuals you. in our church have also, you know, taken that up and sent that off. So I would encourage anyone to please be sure to click on that link and consider giving, because right now, obviously, all the folks over there have much greater needs than their normal day-to-day -day budget yeah. would allow. Yeah. You know, having to pick up your whole family and move to another country at a moment's notice uh, could not yeah. be cheap. So, okay, yeah. we have only a couple minutes left. Um, let me ask you that. Uh, what was your favorite part about this interview? <laughs> um, talking about missions? I, I mean, <laughs> honestly, I, I love talking about missions. It's my life. It's who I am. And uh, I enjoy getting to, particularly when, you know, I have no idea who exactly the listening audience is as far as because you never know who's going to be listening, tuning in or, you know, downloading and listen to it later. But particularly those who really don't know a lot about missions, I love being able to talk about, if you will, some of the basics of missions and what the biblical basis of that is and how it works. And I love being able to talk about that part of it because that's really a main uh, part of what I do in missions is that uh, practical side of, hey, let's make this thing work so that the, we can uh, untie the missionary's hand so he doesn't have to fool with all this other stuff over here, logistical side of it. He can be preaching the gospel and doing what God's called him to do on the field. So give us a success story tell us a great story one that's encouraging um you know recent or older it doesn't matter but just tell us one you know wonderful successful story from missions and the folks that you uh work with that that you could hmm. tell us about and encourage us with 
Yeah. Well, let's see. I guess a matter of it's a matter of narrowing it down to which one, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and then and then thinking of some of the details. You know, we have uh, some missionaries who, um, you know, all of our missionaries. Let's put let's start with this. All of our missionaries are striving to plant a church and see a church, you know, grow and et cetera and so on. And many times with that, you know. I hate to keep with the theme of the financial side of things, but again, finances is such a big side of this. And and missionaries have and come up to some of these big needs of, you know, we're at the point of we need a church building and we're asking God to give us a church building. And um, thinking of one church in particular right now in my mind, and uh, they're actually the one I'm thinking of is it's in Ohio and they were you know, allowed to use a particular piece of property and a, and a, and a building, and they kind of turned it into a church building. And they found out that where they were, they were right in the middle of a technology area. And uh, boy, they found out what the, the property was valued at. And it was, I mean, we're talking about way beyond what they could ever afford or th- even think about affording. But here's the thing, where they were located was perfect because of the proximity to uh, some some deaf contacts that they had because this is a deaf church. And it was just amazing as we worked through this thing with them, God brought in a person who said, listen, I'm going to finance this for you. <laughs> and you know, I'm going to take care of that side of it. You just start raising monies. And it's been amazing to watch God bring in the monies for this uh, church, but not only the financial side of it, to bring people into the church and the church is growing. And, you know, you talk about any church plan is difficult, but now you're specific to deaf people. And to see God, really, he literally worked a miracle in that particular particular place for that particular missionary. And again, throw throw folks back to the, the website, if you are, if any of your folks that are listening want to check out the Papua New Guinea Bible Project, that's another thing that God has done. It, it is literally a modern day miracle. Uh, the the government of Papua New Guinea asked BIMI to come in and hand out a Bible to every school student in the entire nation of Papua New Guinea. There's a long story to this, but God is doing it. We've given out now over eight hundred thousand copies of God's Word. To the young people of Papua New Guinea, but not just hand it to them. We were able to have an assembly and preach a 30-minute or plus gospel message to these young people and then direct them to the Independent Baptist Church closest to them so that they could go there again, hear the gospel, and be uh, discipled and baptized if they've received Christ and become part of that ministry. And we still have a whole bunch to go till we're done. We're hoping to have given out 1.1 million Bibles. But again, that's a modern day miracle that we see God doing. And again, I'm not going to take time to do all the details of that, but it's all on our webpage there. And just look up Papua New Guinea Bible Project. You go all the way back to the beginning and read from the beginning up to what the Lord's doing today. So again, that's that's just two off the top of my head. 
No, that's wonderful. And while you were talking, I put up the link. Uh, if you follow us on Facebook or YouTube, you can find the link in the comments uh, for the Papua New Guinea uh, Bible Project Great. there. So people can go and, and they can learn about that and they can help with that as well. Well, uh, Dr. Snyder, it's been wonderful having you. Uh, we're at the end of our hour, so we're going to wrap it up. Uh, would you be willing to come back another time in the future and talk missions a little more? We can go in a different direction or you can give us some updates, but would you be willing to, to join us again sometime? Like I said, anytime I can talk about missions, I love it. So as long as we can fit it in the schedule, that'll be the biggest question. <laughs> no, that, that sounds wonderful. Everyone's really appreciated having you here. So uh, thank you, everybody, for uh, joining us here at the Bible Thumper podcast where somebody's got to say it. Uh, we'll see you next week.